The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm.
You are listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to discuss the invisible power dynamic of the hidden hand. Uh, I've been working for many years at uh, trying to find something, proofs of something that I've suspected for a very long time, and I think I finally found that tonight. So we're going to go over that and... Uh, you know, we'll see what I'm talking about as we progress here. Uh, I found an old book. It's not even really a book. It's more of a booklet. It's only like 17 pages long or something like that. It's a small treatise. It's called The Pith and Marrow of the Closing and Coming Century and Related Position of Freemasonry and Jesuitry. Okay, this was written in 1899 by an author that goes only as Ramses. Okay, and this was published by a company called the TP Company, 144 Madison Avenue, New York, New York. And uh, I looked up that address, and there's no such company there anymore. Uh, so whatever this publishing company was must have closed down a long time ago, because now that's a residential address uh, right in the, uh, you know, uh, southern part of uh, Manhattan of center, center Manhattan, right up in Midtown. Uh, so, anyway, I'm not too sure as to, uh, you know, what happened with this publishing company, but it seems to have disappeared. And this book is actually scanned from a, uh, what is it, the University of California, I believe, library. It's a digital copy. It was digitally scanned in. University of California. Uh, so... This book, the original print date on it, is 1899. So uh, when it's speaking of the closing and coming century, well, it's speaking of the closing of the 1800s into the opening of the 1900s. So the 19th into the 20th centuries. And uh, what it talks about in here will be pretty stunning for anybody who's uh, had their suspicions like myself about certain things within the structure of uh, uh, those people in charge of this world, that uh, there is indeed a power dynamic that is going on between two different factions, opposing factions, within the upper levels of the control structure. And I found some verification of that in this very book, and we're going to read a couple things, and uh, we'll, we'll find a couple stunning admissions there, and we'll also uh, learn uh, a couple of important concepts here. <clears throat> so anyway, I think let's get right into the reading, and I'll probably skip around a little bit, because it's a lot of dry, boring reading that talks about some events that were happening right at that time in 1899, when it was written. That don't really have much relevance today, but uh, uh, we'll see how many of the things discussed here in this little booklet uh, are very relevant today. So, 
this book booklet is called The Pith and Marrow of the Closing and Coming Century and Related Position of Freemasonry and Jesuitry. Accustomed to measuring eternity by the tick of the watch, the fact escapes notice that the time period measurements of weeks, months, years, and centuries are not accidents, not senseless arbitrary divisions of time, but that they are the results of, and in harmony with, universal law, which fact becomes more and more one-pointed as our range of consciousness expands. It is evident, even to a careless observer, that all persons, things, and events are related and interdependent. Those who carefully follow and correlate series of events covering long periods find remarkable relationships and results. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Is that not true? Everything is interrelated, and especially when it comes to these quote-unquote conspiracy-type topics, there's no accidents or coincidence, okay? Uh, that's that's just what I've the conclusion I've come to with this. Uh, so you see, when you start to really dig into a lot of these things, the historical aspect of things, you find connections there uh, that you might not be aware of on the surface level narrative of what's going on with things. But uh, yeah, I, I find that to be a true statement. And that's uh, one of the uh, many things that are written in this short little volume here that uh, are kind of revealing. And this is written, I'm assuming, by somebody very high uh, within the auspices of the Freemasonic uh, organization uh, because of the things that were written here and because of the title that they went by. They went by the title Ramses. That's the only identification that's given of the author here. Okay. So anyway, let's, let's go ahead and we'll continue reading here. It is evident, e even to a careless observer... We read that part, excuse me. Uh, let's, let's skip down here. Sorry. The merchant, as the year draws near its close, interrupts or disturbs the ordinary progress of his business to settle old matters and to close his books, preparatory to entering the new year and its unknown, broadening possibilities with a clear understanding of his resources and abilities. Likewise, on the broader fields of community, national, race, and world life, are found corresponding and related cyclic disturbances, adjustments, progression, or retrogression, depending upon the balance showing on the credit side of right action or on the debit side of wrongdoing. Truth expressed in commercial terms is best understood today. And I'm going to pause there. And what the author is doing here is comparing this to bookkeeping. Okay, Right action would be on the right side or the credit side. And then wrongdoing would be on the debit side, see, of the ledger. It's talking about accounting here. The ledger. And it's talking about truths and different philosophical ideas here. Uh, so it's talking about the balance between right and wrong and how uh, in certain cycles of time or periods of time uh, we see certain things happen and how uh, the pendulum shifts back and forth and how this dynamic works. Okay, so that's what he's talking about here. Let's read on. Glance over the world's history by centuries and near the close of each will be found the culmination of a more or less widespread and important series of events, all related in that they have a common trend and purpose. Leaving the proving of this statement to those who care to investigate, we turn our attention to the present to find the world facing 
that, in fact, it is now in the midst of events and culminations, the importance of which have not been equaled in many centuries, probably not within the period of recorded history. And I'm going to pause there again, folks. He's talking about these long cycles of time and how these things happen uh, according to the hermetic philosophies, okay? How these cycles of time uh, that people within the power structure here understand the cycles, how these cycles of time work, and that there's certain things that happen at certain points and how they use uh, tools such as the sky clock to either predict or manipulate the outcomes of different things. That's what he's referring to here, okay? So he's, he's looking at long-scale periods of time and being able to show, hey, you see all these events that happened in this past century? They're all connected and working towards a common goal. And this is how the elite power structure in this world today operate. They play the long game and they take incremental steps over many, many years to shift things in the direction they want and they always bring about their plan. They use 50 and 100 year plans in doing a lot of things. And that is exactly one of the things that this uh, little treatise here is pointing out. Okay, so uh, let's read on here. If this statement appears extreme, a comparative examination of present signs and ruling conditions points to its early demonstration. Individual life and conditions constitute the basis and ruling factor in community, national, and world life. If the individual units are contented and happy, the world is at peace. If unsettled and disturbed, then commerce is in a chaotic state. Nations are suspicious and stand prepared to fly at each other's throats. And I'm going to pause there. Doesn't that ring true, that statement? So we can see how we shift back and forth between these different cycles, these cycles of uh, what would be peace and happiness and, uh, you know, contentment, well-being, prosperity, and also to this suspicious chaotic state uh, within the realms of commerce as well. That's mostly what he's talking about here. But let's go ahead and read on. Looking backward, we find periods of disturbance frequently involving nations, even changing the political conditions and map of a continent, as in Napoleon's time. But today, the whole world is in a condition of unrest and uncertainty, which, perceptibly affecting every human condition and mind, focalizes and emphasizes itself in every organized body, in nations, religious organizations, industrial, commercial, and financial trusts and labor unions. None are exempt. All stand, the world over, as classified, separate, more or less compact and antagonistic units, anxiously expectant of the impending unknown, ready to act, or already engaged offensively or defensively in what they in the main consider self-preservation. And I'm going to pause there, and I know I'm making a lot of pauses here, folks. But there's some important ideas wound up in this, and don't we see ourselves in a similar state today? And he was talking about, this was going into the 20th century, the end of the 19th going into the 20th century. These things were, uh, you know, uh, in the forefront of his mind. Now, could you imagine the extent to which these things have accelerated since the 20th century, going into the new millennia here now? Uh, how the, these cycles of time 
they make a difference. There are different uh, factors within the natural world uh, that influence these cycles of time, and they're not arbitrary. Okay, there's a reason that these numbers were put on these different things, and uh, the times that we're in are important, and the way that things have ramped up, uh, especially within the past year and a half, and uh, since the turn of the century, actually, the, the turn of the millennium, with the events that happened in 2001, that was a catalyzing event that really changed the face of the world, didn't it? And we see the same thing going on today to a uh, different extent. But uh, anyway, he's pointing out that uh, this was also the case, the turn of the last century, that uh, these things happen in a cyclical way, and this is to be expected, and that the power structure understands that some of these changes are coming, and they're inevitable, and they will try their best to work with the tools that they understand how to use to change things and shift things into what they want. And uh, herein is where uh, the problem with that lies. At the topmost levels of the power structure are different factions with different agendas. And they work against each other and they always struggle back and forth for control over the main part of control of this world. Okay, and that's a thing that I've suspected for a long time. And uh, the, the groups that I suspected involved in this are named out in this document as we get down further. But let's read on. <clears throat> but is the general mustering of forces in reality for the purpose of emphasizing and perpetuating the reign of selfishness, separateness, intolerance, and craft? Underneath the seeming, is there not a deeper, truer, more intelligent force at work, molding and shaping conditions and events for the common good, stirring into action and bringing into open battle array the good and evil qualities, the life and death forces embodied in man's higher and lower natures, preparatory to their locking horns in the death struggle for the final mastery with the fate of humanity at the stake? Let us seek answers in the signs of the times, first as indicating in the individual, then in powerful, organized bodies, the larger personalities. Every man who will honestly examine himself will find both the good and the evil qualities in his own nature emphasized, awake and arrayed against each other contending for the mastery. He finds himself unusually interested in and taking sides for or against wrong and injustice in matters foreign to his personal interests and customary observation. His power to discern the right is unusually clear and forceful. Again, as though to give all opportunity, matters of frequent occurrence and, as the world goes, of seeming unimportance, suddenly spring into universal prominence, are discussed throughout the civilized world in private and public, in the press and pulpit. In fact, the whole world discusses and intelligently takes sides for or against the principles involved, and in so doing, each person enlists and throws his influence on the side of right or wrong. And I'm going to pause there, folks. He's talking about this basic, uh, classic Hegelian control tool right here, isn't he? He's talking about uh, we always have to come to grips with uh, there's two sides to these different arguments, whatever the principle involved may be, and you're going to take a side on that. And that's just basic human behavior. 
And the thing is, depending upon, you know, if the people at the top of the power structure are trying to steer public opinion in a certain way or direction or not, they could steer the, the bulk of the public consensus towards one or the other to accept that this is either right or wrong uh, for any given argument here. Uh, so that's kind of what he's talking about. He's talking about this dichotomy of thought where, uh, you know, we're always going to have these kinds of conflicts and we're going to pick a side on the conflict and one side is going to win the conflict, okay? There's always these, these two controlling sides and there's two extremes, uh, each extreme, one on each side. And uh, within the bounds of those extremes, we could be steered. So the balance is going to tip one way or the other at any given time. And this is cyclical, and the balance shifts back and forth, see, uh, with different ideas or ideals. And that's what the author here completely understands and is talking about. And they, they see this, okay, and they see that there are certain factors happening in the natural world at certain times within portions of the cycle that are more um, favorable for them to steer in certain directions. Uh, so that's kind of what's being inferred here. But let's, let's read on here. <clears throat> the world has so divided and arrayed itself over the case of Captain Dreyfus, that brave man who, in his apparently hopeless but superb battle for the principles of justice and liberty, fought against a corrupt combination, a senseless and corrupt court, an apathetic people, and in so doing suffered many martyrdoms. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Uh, I guess this was an important case going on at the time. Uh, in 1899, this Captain Dreyfus, uh, I guess he was fighting some kind of a battle here. And we'll learn more about that as we read on, because they do reference this uh, Captain Dreyfus several times here uh, within this treatise. But this was not the complete nor the main result following this case. Such an exhibition of brutal inhumanity, palpable and hideous injustice, based on and sustained by the grossest falsehood, perjury, vile calumny, and attempted murder, all in the name of justice, has irretrievably disgraced a great country, appalled all honest men, and notified the world that justice was foully murdered and can no longer be found in her courts. It did more than this. It brought into the blazing light and scrutiny of an aroused worldwide public the hidden, subtle, and evil organized force which stands charged with and is responsible for that crime, and it will never again be able to conceal its intolerance, bigotry, and persecution, its work of mental thraldom and spiritual death, under cover of piety and care for the spiritual welfare of humanity as God's vicegerent. The time has come when courts of justice, failing circumstances and conditions as relentless witness for the higher law will compel justice and irretrievably expose and ruin the hiding culprits, be they individuals, secular or religious organizations. At last, the spiritual eye of humanity is open, the eye which sees the truth standing emphasized and more clearly revealed by calumny, denial, or apparently friendly criticism and condemnation, with a but insinuating impartiality or claimed disinterestedness in matters which are known to and deeply interest every intelligent human being. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Um, apparently, this Dreyfus case, uh, there was 
miss justice. There was an injustice being served here. And uh, as we read a little further, I haven't explored this Dreyfus case, but uh, just based upon what we're reading here, apparently at the time there were people incensed about the outcome of this case. Uh, and uh, within the uh, outcome of this case was revealed that there must be some power structure within the court system or the political system that uh, had an agenda outside of simply uh, upholding law or administering justice. And you could see how the author here has a very negative uh, outlook of this uh, this influencing body within the court system here. Let's read on and see if we can muster some more meaning out of this, okay? So, the great law, intelligence, or God, name it as you like, has taken the martyrdom of this brave but obscure man, one of a persecuted people who, in just return, controlled the world's idol and elevated him as a symbol of great principle, which this world of men have championed or antagonized by the mental attitude they have taken towards the Dreyfus case. The same principle was the basis thinly veiled behind our conflict with Spain. In that war, identically the same forces of light and darkness were contending for mastery. The American people, in entering upon the war, purely for the cause of humanity, the first instance in recorded history, were impelled by the same law which used Dreyfus. Largely unconscious of their high guidance and mission, they nonetheless promptly and effectively arrayed themselves, leading the nations as the exponents and champions of right, enlightenment, progress, and physical, mental, and spiritual freedom, as opposed to this subtle, organized force, which from love of power, has always prostituted its immense strength by standing as the main block in the way of mental and spiritual health, freedom, and progress in the Western world. We were not combating Spain as a nation or people, but as the ancient champion of this most intelligent but selfishly directed force, which was harbored as the dominating power in her individual, national, material, and spiritual life. Spain finally obtained the natural and legitimate fruitage of her work of oppression, tyranny, and destruction in national decay, humiliation, and defeat. Like Dreyfus, this naturally noble people suffered when, as an outer covering, they were rent asunder, that the real destroying force should be exposed as a warning to other men and nations." Here it is pertinent to inquire if we as a people or as a government have learned or even discovered this vital lesson of our own unfinished war. When we find this same ill-guiding force virtually and practically in control of our affairs and army in the Philippines, else our returning warriors and all other than official reports are unintelligent and wholly false, then the reason becomes apparent for the constant contact with our government and the seemingly disinterested counsels of eminent exponents of the power which persecuted Dreyfus, destroyed Spain, and is now seeking to perpetuate itself in control of the Philippines. And I'm going to pause here, folks. Okay, apparently, speaking of the things going on in this day, what the author is asserting here is there was a malevolent force within 
the American government system, okay, which was controlling many of these things. And uh, apparently, you know, this, uh, this author was very much opposed to this force. And uh, being as how uh, just taken by the context of uh, what's written here, and as we get further along, you'll see, this was a high-ranking Mason who wrote this. So he's looking at an opposing faction within the power structure, and he sees them as being evil, all right, and, and being the reason for many of these unjust wars and these many things. And as just a little hint here as to who it is, and we'll, we'll get there, and many of you are probably putting the connections together already, uh, Spain. Um, Spain is where, uh, you know, a certain Mr. Uh, St. Ignatius Loyola was from. All right. Uh, it was also the, uh, the country where in the first advent of... Uh, what we would refer to nowadays as the quote-unquote Illuminati uh, had been traced to. And actually, they, they go back further than that, but that is what the modern advent can be traced to because you see, when we're talking about St. Ignatius Loyola, and like I said, many of you are probably putting this connection together already, we're speaking about the Jesuit order, okay? And before they were known as the Jesuits, they were known as Los Olumbrados, which literally translates from Spanish as the Illuminati. That is what uh, Loyola called them, but the Pope requested that they change their name to the, uh, the Order of Jesus, or the Jesuit order. So, uh, as to... Uh, you know, sound a little bit more churchy, okay? And it has nothing to do with uh, the actual Catholic religion. I should say it doesn't have, it has nothing to do, it has very little to do with the actual Catholic religion, but it's actually a vehicle for uh, these secret society groups that they use as part of the control structure. And we'll see as we get along here, all right? I'm going to read down here a little bit further. Uh, so, anyway, we're going to skip a little bit ahead here through this book because uh, it goes through some of the things that were going on politically at the time and with different world powers, and it talks about uh, the Monroe Doctrine and uh, different things like that, talking about the geopolitical events of the time. All right, and uh, let's see. So when we get down here... Okay, we'll skip down a little bit and get past a little bit of the narrative here as to what was going on. So, back to the reading. A gigantic figure has loomed above the horizon of the 19th century, one humane foot placed on the Antilles guarding the waters which command the approaches to the great American Continental Canal which must be built. The other, unconsciously held impending in the world's atmosphere, while harking to humanity's cry, unexpectedly planted on the threshold of Asia's unexplored storehouse of material, mental, and spiritual wealth. Incidentally, he shelters and protects the Americas, the great impassable continental divide separating Europe from the teeming East. He stands expectant and superb in his undeveloped strength, this young giant colossus of modern times calmly facing the ancients and the pregnant future with sublime trust in himself 
and in the cause of right and humanity, which he has championed before the whole world. He is the symbol of the higher part of or soul of humanity in action, the torchbearer of truth, light, and liberation to the discouraged and downtrodden. When the surprise and compounded admiration fear commendation of the older nations settles into conviction that their selfish dominating influence and commercial supremacy is in jeopardy, we shall require that divinely inspired wisdom and courage, which go hand in hand with intelligent right action, with pure motive and high principle as our mainspring and guide our passage through the Red Sea of selfishness into the promised land of universal brotherhood will be safe and glorious, but destruction is certain if we, off guard, permit the subtle wrecking intelligence of the past and present centuries to creep in and whisper evil counsel into the ears of our helmsmen. And I'm going to pause there, folks. And he's speaking very allegorically right there, you see. So he's talking about world events. He's talking about how uh, the world stands at this precipice, okay? And it's much the same today, but this was, uh, you know, in the turn of the last century, not this century that we're in now. Uh, so things were slightly different, but you could hear the very same language, the truth and the light and the liberation language being spoken here by the Freemasonic Brotherhood, okay, talking about universal brotherhood and how, um, you know, they need to be diligent and hold their course in order to steer in the good future for humanity. You see, they, the writer here positions himself as, and his uh, association, this group that he's part of, as being, say, you know, so to say, the good guys. And there's a, a group of bad guys within the same power structure group that fight against them. And uh, we're going to have to skip down a little bit here because there are some, you know, really important ideas in here. But there's, like I said, a lot of dry narrative in here talking about events of the day, like geopolitical geopolitical happenings of the day things of, of the day that are not really anything we're concerned with right at the moment here uh it's, it's a lot of narrative if you're interested in history then yes the history is interesting but the the main point here is there's different things in this writing that i wanted to bring out so let's take a look here uh, let's get past all the geopolitical stuff. All right. Sorry for the delay, folks. In face of these patent facts and the disturbed, jealous, and prepared condition of the nations, can we longer safely or economically indulge in the egotistical dream of our fancied ability to instantly do what at best requires years to accomplish? Shall we as a people permit any power among ourselves or on earth to even delay this work? And he's speaking of the great work, folks. The danger 
from trusts is more important, imminent, and threatening in the direction of their unlimited legislative purchasing power than from any material increase in cost of living or lack of profit or loss by investors in their multi-watered stocks. At this crucial period, when the retarded evolutionary progress of humanity can spring forward, carrying it into its long-lost heritage of spiritual consciousness and divine knowledge, every intelligently honest man must satisfy himself regarding his own standing ground. In that safe position, he will use his God-given perceiving and thinking faculties to himself, analyze, judge, and accept or reject old and new beliefs, ideas, presentations, and men as he deems best. Thus growing mentally and spiritually strong, he will discover error and falsehood, discern and follow truth, and become its efficient and courageous agent in dispelling ignorance and opposing intolerance, bigotry, and selfishness. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Once again, he goes from speaking about the geopolitical happenings of the day, of the commerce, of the period, uh, explaining that the things going on are retarding the evolutionary progress of humanity, and that now, at the turn of this new century that was happening then, we could springboard forward, okay, that this was their time to act, their time to take the reins of power. This was a shift in the power dynamic. Now, something similar has happened in this past uh, turn of the century now, or turn of the millennium. The reins of power have shifted back to this other group, you see. And uh, these two groups have opposing viewpoints on things, but they all work towards the same ultimate goal. They just go about things in a slightly different way. And that's kind of what's being alluded to here. And we'll, when we read on, and we'll get to a part here, where you'll begin to see what it is exactly I'm talking about. I know it sounds kind of convoluted at the moment, but when we get there, you'll understand immediately what's going on. But uh, we do need to you know, cover some of these ideas because you could see the philosophy of the Freemasons uh, being touted here. And it's also the pretty much the same philosophy that the opposing side, the Jesuit forces have as well. And I've had this uh, inkling for a long time that there's been this power struggle at the top tiers of the, the power chain here, the power pyramid. But uh, I never had any solid proof until I came across this. And, you know, a couple other things I'd read suggested that that was the case. Things by, like, uh, John Robeson uh, in the late 1700s wrote about the infiltration of the Freemasonic Lodge by the Illuminati. Well... We'll see as we get a little further down this treatise here that this confirms that the Freemasonic Order at its highest levels has been infiltrated by what they would consider this other power dynamic, this other power group, the Jesuit Order. So they've been infiltrated, okay? They're all the same at the topmost levels. The thing is, though, it appears that the author of this treatise doesn't realize the uh, extent to which the Freemasonic Lodge was uh, actually infiltrated by this other group and uh, how the, the doctrines are the same doctrines handed down. It's just, it's it's an illusion, folks, to maintain control, all right? It's the same thing within the secret society groups. This one thinks that one's bad, and they work against each other, but... 
in all actuality, they're working together because at the topmost levels of each of the orders, it's the same people steering the agendas. They're controlling both sides of the argument. Do you see how brilliant and, you know, shady that the whole thing is? But anyway, let's, let's go ahead and we'll skip down here a little bit. All right, I think we should read this part. It says, Men once aroused to a realization of the divine common sense will com comprehend and enforce the self-evident truth that intelligence must and will rule by devious methods if forced by ignorance to indirection, but honestly and for the good of all when direct and responsible. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There it is. Okay, and this is where... Uh, both of these power groups align in their thinking, okay? Even though it's a split in the dynamic of who's in charge, uh, this one goes about it one way, this one goes about it another, but they're both okay with whatever methods work. The, the ends always justify the means, okay? That's their whole point of view. The ends always justify the means, and that's exactly what he's pointing out here. It says that... Uh, the self-evident truth that intelligence must and will rule, okay? So they think they're smarter. They think they know more. They think they're the ruling class, okay? That's the bottom line. Uh, intelligence must and will rule. And it says, by devious methods, if forced by ignorance to indirection, but honestly and for the good of all, when direct and responsible. So it depends on, you know, how they're being accepted by the public, okay? Uh, that's what this is talking about. It, the contingent here is if the intelligent, uh, in, or I'm sorry, if the public accepts the, quote-unquote, the intelligent people that are, are ruling, uh, then they could work for the good of all and be direct and responsible and be honest about it. But if they're getting blowback, well, then they will do whatever it takes. More devious methods to do what they want okay let's read on this is in the nature of things it cannot be overcome nor long subverted except at the expense of true progress and civilization these will be quickly swallowed up and lost in a maelstrom of anarchy and barbarism into which a society nation or world ruled by its ignorant element will inevitably lapse and the intelligent are responsible if this element gains control gonna pause there folks see they can't possibly let the people take care of themselves or rule over themselves do you see this elitist mindset here and this is both sides of this power dynamic that we're talking about because at the topmost levels it's the same and that's what the author here is missing he doesn't see he understands and we'll see later that uh, the masonic lodge has been infiltrated and taken over by this other outside group uh, to some degree but he thinks that they've been thwarted do you see but the the reality is it's the same controlling factors it's the same people at the topmost levels and it's it's only gotten worse since the time of this writing and they're being used and manipulated see that's the thing your average mason thinks they're doing a good thing they think they're in a great group they're doing good stuff i mean they're they're raising money and having dinners and they they donate monies to children's hospitals and that kind of thing and you know 
They think that they're legitimately doing good stuff, and many of them are doing good stuff. But the problem is they don't realize that uh, the people that are telling them at the topmost uh, levels of the, the structure there that uh, they're good, enlightened men and that they're, they're doing these wonderful things and this kind of stuff, they're lying because they have ulterior motives. And that's what the people at the lower levels of the structure don't understand. And it happens the same way within the Jesuit order as well. And any of these secret society groups, people that get involved in them, they think they're doing good works, okay? They think they're getting involved. They're becoming better people. They're helping in their community. They're doing good works. That's a facade, okay? That's a facade. And many of them do these good works and do these good community outreaches and things. And your, your average Mason or your average Jesuit or your average person joining one of these secret society groups doesn't get much further than what they call the quote-unquote Blue Lodge, okay? Or that's the first three degrees of the order, and they're the large power base of the group. They're the, the voting block, so to say. They're they're the useful idiots, okay? And I'm not. It's, that's not me saying that. That's the people at the topmost levels of these different secret societies. They're their useful idiots, these people that are members of these lodges and fraternities. And they go out and they do the bidding of whatever the Grand Master says at the topmost levels of the, the, the structure there. See, and they have no idea that, uh, you know, this guy may be doing something shady. They have no idea, and they follow along. And, uh, you know, they, they're peer pressured into doing the same things as their Lodge brothers. And they, t they took blood oaths to stay, you know, in unison with the Lodge on everything. So, you know, if they like... Uh, you know, having that prestige of being a member of this group. And, you know, you could get a square deal down at the local car dealership and uh, join the country club and all of this stuff. And, you know, you think you're doing good stuff. Well, why would you want to, you know, buck the system, so to say? Uh, you vote with the group and you do what the group wants. See, and that's that's where in that this whole compartmentalization factor comes in because at the highest most levels, guess what? You're being played, but they don't realize it. See, and it's the same thing with the author of this little treatise here. Anyway, let's let's continue reading. Where did I leave off here? All right, they had just said if the ignorant element gets con control, that uh, you know, it'll eventually lapse, and that it's the intelligent people's uh, place. To make sure that the ignorant elements don't you know, get control of a society. So let's read on. They have permitted or perhaps tempor temporizingly encouraged the cry of ignorance. Equality. When all nature, especially men, proves it's utterly false and impossible. Going to pause there. Equality. See what they're pointing out here? Under the term of equ equality. They allow ignorance, okay, to, to manifest. <laughs> because it says, when all nature, especially man, proves it utterly false and impossible. And they're talking about equality. It's, it's utterly impossible. Yes, there could be equity and, you know, that kind of thing. But equality? That's that's the whole thing that you know it it doesn't work. It's it's pointing out here this whole equality idea. This is the whole bent of socialism, 
or communism. Equality. Everybody has equal, each according to his, uh, his need and each according to his ability. But when you have people with different abilities and different needs, that doesn't add up, does it? Equality doesn't work. It never works. And that's what he's pointing out here. Uh, anyway, let's, let's continue on. I don't want to get too hung up on that idea. Are there two blades of grass or two men in the world just alike and equal in every respect? Well, the answer would be no, right? But uh, let's, let's, let's lead on. Equality is a fatal fallacy instituted and sustained by ignorance, charlatanism, political irresponsibility, and corruption. And I'm going to stop right there. If you don't take anything else away from this tonight, remember that when the politicians are out there touting equality, it's a fatal fallacy instituted and sustained by ignorance, charlatanism, political irresponsibility, and corruption. So when the government is out there, well, we're going to pass such and such a bill or law uh, for the sake of equality, equal rights, equal this, equal that. This group deserves the equal rights, equality, equality. It's fraudulent, folks. That's what this is pointing out. And it's telling you this is a sign that your political structure is corrupt. Okay? Let's read on. Intelligence declares and maintains fraternity and community of interest in degree that all would find comfort and happiness in working for the common good. In fact, that these proper desires and ambitions can be realized in no other way that a paternal form of government has in the past and must again satisfy these good citizenship desires and ambitions that if America and the balance of the world intends to save itself, we must arouse and stimulate individual thinking and intelligence to guide and control material and spiritual life, else it will be dominated by antagonistic and destructive forces and men. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Uh, so once again... This is talking about what they call a paternal form of government. Um, <laughs> paternal. Uh, the government's your daddy. Your daddy will take care of you. See? Do you see the slippery slope that this, you know, this whole thing touts? Uh, even though they talk about it in a good way here, uh, saying that, uh, you know, uh, they must, um, like, invoke these these different... Uh, thinking and intelligence and, and these different ideas, ambitions in the common person to do good, good things for the group, the good of the group. You see how it harkens back again to communitarianism and these different ideas, the social order, the state, and this goes back to Plato's Republic. Okay, it's the same kind of idea. It's all about the state, and this is kind of what they tout all the time, see, for the, the betterment of all. Uh, that kind of thing. So it, you see these ideas being hit upon here. Um, well, let's see. Let's jump down here. Uh, actually, we'll just read this next paragraph because, uh, you know, it's it's kind of an important one. Then, if we find ourselves, our commerce and industries, in the control or combinations of or trusts which dominate the government, or our political and religious interests threatened, we shall be sufficiently intelligent and common-sensed as a people to examine and understand the reverse side of our national seal, and possibly recognize that the ancient God-sent constitution of a rapidly evolving nation must be correspondingly developed, 
or it will for a time hamper national growth and then become inoperative and a menace to public safety, even in its inability to protect its worshippers or permit their government to protect itself against secular or religious combinations. Then we shall be sufficiently awake and wise enough to evolve our constitution abreast of conditions, reform our government onto a nonpartisan, unselfish basis, and absorb any or all selfish combinations or trusts into one vast owned and operated for the common good by a government made directly responsible to the people. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Did you hear all of that? Did you hear all of that? Evolve the Constitution. They had written into uh, the whole plan here all along. They want to be able to change the Constitution on the fly. That's what this is talking about here. All right. Our United States Constitution was based primarily on these quote unquote Freemasonic ideas or ideals, right? But he's saying here that our, it needs to evolve, all right? That uh, the Constitution, it, it was good for, you know, what we needed it for, but as conditions change, it needs to evolve. That is a fouled uh, kind of statement right there. That, that That's a fallacy, isn't it? Uh, why would you put this law in place and then want to go ahead and change it but you see that was always the original intention they want to shift it as time goes on because of evolution do you understand how the idea of evolution plays into everything again because we as an evolving people well we need evolving laws well that doesn't sound very uh, <laughs> uh safe or you know how should we say uh, doesn't sound very morally correct, does it? It doesn't sound like there's an absolute standard of right or wrong. This is moral relativism. Okay? So they're invoking moral relativism to change the nation's founding document. All right? And, and these are the Masons, folks. Uh, these are the ones that are, are proclaiming to be the good guys here. All right? And both sides in this uh, power dynamic claim to be the good guys. But they both have these flawed ideologies. And guess what? They're both one and the same at the topmost levels, and they don't realize it. The only ones that realize it are the ones at the topmost levels that control both sides. And the thing is, they let certain power influences have control at different points in the cycle. And in the cycle we're in, it would appear to me that the power has shifted back from the Freemasonic side to the Jesuit side. Uh, that's what I see going on today. Now, in uh, the turn of the last century, it looks to me like the shift was from the Jesuit side to the Freemasonic side. You see, uh, it's the same thing if you look at uh, our political parties. It's the same thing. It's shifting back and forth. Democrat, Republican, Republican, Democrat. They, they do the same thing. It's just this is a longer cycle. Whereas uh, with our election cycles we have, it's every four or eight years, you get that shift in the power dynamic, okay? The Republicans take over for a while. Okay, eight years are up. People are frustrated with the, the bad things that they've done. So now we'll vote the Democrats in. 
and the power structure shifts just slightly, but always working towards the same end goals. You see how it works? This is just on a longer phase cycle. They go by the century, apparently. Uh, if, I, if I'm inferring the right connotation here from the things that I've read in here and what I'm understanding. But uh, let's continue reading, and then we're going to get to the good stuff here. We're going to skip down a little and get to the good stuff, all right? Because this, by and large, there, although there's a lot of important ideas outlined in here and a lot of striking admissions, we haven't got to the juicy stuff yet in this document. Let's read on, though. These conclusions are especially true and applicable to a nation whose ability, strength, and resources are to itself as yet unknown quantities. An intelligent people, to permanently remain free and self-governing, must itself and through its government stand ready and sufficiently courageous to change old things and methods to meet advanced conditions, to observe, analyze, wisely direct, and lead all natural, and to control and neutralize all illegal, or sorry, illegitimate developments. Today, whoever or whatever is consciously or unconsciously working for self is working against the broad principle of brotherhood or the common good, as emphasized in the teachings of Christ, Buddha, and all of humanity's saviors. Such are, consciously or otherwise, under the influence of that most secret body which absolutely controls and works through a vast, materially, spiritually, homogeneous, and one-purposed organization, millions of whose members, unconscious of its inner dominating force, are perfectly honest, capable, and patriotic citizens who, in all conflicts save one, would make their public duties paramount. Gonna pause there, folks. Did you catch all of that? The principle of brotherhood. See, the brotherhood being the common good. Now, do you understand why they're trying to steer towards communitarianism, as they call it, or uh, socialism, or soft communism? so to say. Uh, it's all about brotherhood. See, brotherhood is the common good. Do you understand yet what's going on? Uh, but we can see the way they're talking here. They make it sound like it's a good, noble thing, isn't it? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to do good and, and you know, have everybody prosper. The only problem with that is in a socialist-type system, it always lowers everybody down to the same lowest common denominator, okay? That's the problem. It doesn't raise or elevate everybody up to the same level. It pulls everybody down to the same level. And that is where the problem lies. <clears throat> Excuse me. So even though they make it sound good, they know that the principle always draws people down to the lowest common denominator, not raise people up to the highest common purpose. All right? Anyway... Let's read on. But in the event of active opposition to the inner controlling body's plans of religious conquest and aggrandizement to again combine church and state under priest rule, inciting this mass to religious zeal, and with the additional powerful incentive of gaining both spiritual and political dominion following a successful if issue from the contest, 
what in such an event would be the natural, logical, and inevitable action of many millions of otherwise good and public-spirited citizens. Even the sovereign pontiff himself is already subject to the will of the Jesuits, as his recent unwilling submission to their demands proves. The danger is not so much from the exoteric organization as such, but is it not imminent on the lines indicated? Have these persistent, crafty men ceased to live and work? Have they at this crucial time abandoned their long-cherished purpose to rule the Western Hemisphere? Looking about the world, do we find evidences of the workings of this inner controlling body, the working out of a plan of the nature indicated? The innocently blind, careless, and unobserving may see no danger, but those who have eyes to see, who analyze, look behind and underneath, discover the selfish plans and subtle workings of this evil-directed, highly intelligent, crafty, hidden body, which has ever sought power, wealth, and aggrandizement for itself at the expense and ultimate ruin of the people or nation it permanently controlled. If this statement requires proof, the following examples will serve the unprejudiced seeker. Spain, once proud, haughty, and powerful, the dominating power in Europe, championed and accepted priestcraft rule. As the direct result, this noble people stands as a nation humiliated, bankrupt, powerless and disgraced the other european nations who are largely or entirely dominated by the same priest power are rapidly approaching the same fate the horrible crime against dreyfus plainly revealed this hidden power in control of the french army through its general staff these officers directing the most powerful arm of the government false to everything and condition utterly demoralized unpatriotic and venal and this in the face of the fact that the safety and very life of the nation were thereby placed in extremist jeopardy. What must be the character of the influence which could so change Frenchmen and cause them to forget their country and their honor? Note, who are now making protest against officials of France for looking to masonry for counsel and aid in their endeavor to remedy this lamentable condition and safeguard the nation. Why do experienced, honest, efficient men turn from one and to the other when in dire trouble? And I'm going to pause there, folks. There it is. He's pointing out this power dichotomy, okay, that the Jesuits were in control of these different areas, all right? And now the, these different areas are seeking the Freemasons. Once again, like I said, this was the shifting of the power dynamic within the cycle from the Jesuit side of things to the Freemasonic side of things. And I think we shifted back here now in the 21st century. And it's the Jesuits who are taking back the reins of power from the Freemasonic side. And a couple important ideas, <coughs> excuse me, in that previous section that we just read. Okay, once again, it's talking about, all right, talked about in Spain. It used Spain as the example of where the Jesuits were in power. And uh, it says here that they championed and accepted priestcraft rule. And once again, this whole idea falls back to the dichotomy. They were talking about the merging of church and state once again. And if you've listened to any of my previous broadcasts, I will tell you, this goes back to the whole Cain and Abel 
dynamic in the Bible. Once again, the sons of the waters of faith and the sons of fire or the philosophers of fire. This would be the brotherhood of Cain uh, and the, the godly sons of Seth. They would be those of the waters of faith, the sons of Seth, the waters of faith, the priestcraft, the Jesuits, okay? And then there's the philosophers of fire or the, the bloodlines of Cain, the Freemasons. Once again, it's this whole power struggle dichotomy, but it's both of these groups combined together that are the necessity in order to cast the, the molten sea. All right. So a lot of these ideas are uh, difficult to understand in some regards. Okay. But uh, when you actually take the time and go back and do a lot of the research and the digging into these old stories and things like. Uh, you know, the, the concept of casting the molten sea when you're combining the fire and the water principles together, uh, which was the story uh, back in the Temple of Solomon when that was being built by, allegedly, this Hiram Abiff character, okay, in, you know, from, from Freemasonry. This is what they were attempting to do. This is the merging of statecraft and priestcraft. That's what the allegory is talking about. Uh, it's always this this dynamic back and forth. See, it's the the two aspects of man. It's the the spiritual aspect and the physical aspect fighting back and forth, and uh, you know trying to achieve this higher self kind of idea, this kind of scheme. And there's always this dichotomy in the power structure. So we're always swinging back and forth. All right, and this this is kind of uh, an allegorical way to look at it, but this is exactly the dynamic that's being talked about here. It's the same thing going on at the highest levels of the power structure, just to a different uh, different type of a, a degree, so to say, um, and to different ends to the means. All right, so let's put it that way. Anyway, let's let's skip down a little bit here now because next it starts talking about Cuba, uh, insurrection in Cuba, and other different things uh, in the geopolitical conflicts of the day. So it gets a little bit, uh, you know, if you're not really a history buff, it, it's not a lot that you'll really want to read too much into because it does get a little bit boring. But uh, let's get down to the bottom here. Uh, what influence is being exerted upon our government? Is it blind, or is it looking ahead with self-interested vision? Are we as a people blind, or only careless and criminally innocent and trusting? But why question and seek proof when the object and purpose is openly avowed and enforced whenever and wherever possible, as the following examples show? One of our eminent and able American bishops in recent speeches delivered in Europe plainly stated that, quote, the day is not far distant when England and the United States will be under Catholic control, end quote. And I'm going to pause there. Catholic control, meaning the Jesuits, folks. Uh, so once again, he's talking about uh, there's uh, this possibility that the Jesuit order will take back over at some point in England and America. All right. 
that's what's being expressed here. That's, that's the underlying current that's being expressed here by the author here. Let's see. Uh, what else? Sorry, going to skip down a little bit more because now it goes back to talking about uh, things going on. Why this emphasizing of Catholic over Protestant patriots who at least fought and suffered equally? What is the underneath force which is already separating and classifying American citizenship through religious preferment? Have we as a people already been separated on this powerful and subtle line by those who, whose personal and church ambitions would be thus served? And that's a legit question, isn't it, folks? Um, there's always been this dynamic in play here, okay? And it's the same thing with the, the political side of things. Let's read on, though. These are facts and presentations which deeply interest and involve every true American. In fact, every human being, whether Protestant, Catholic, or non-conformant to any creed, for a house or the temple of humanity divided against itself cannot stand. Their common blood gladly poured on our towering altar of liberty has sanctified our sacred common soil and country. Together they must protect and preserve it intact against physical or religious dismemberment to go down into the ages as the world's refuge from tyranny and intolerance, as humanity's beacon, light of enlightenment, tolerance, and mental and spiritual liberty, freedom, and brotherhood. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So do you see these different ideas he's invoking here? All right. And they're not bad ideas, so to say, but it's once again invoking the idea combine church and state. And that's an important thing. It's the combining of statecraft and priestcraft, the, the uh, sons of Cain and the sons of Seth, uh, the line of Seth, the, the ones of the waters of faith with the philosophers of fire. All right, it's this this melding idea, this melting pot idea inherent here. And there's underlying esoteric connotations to America being a melting pot that people may not have considered before. And this ties directly back to the casting of the Molten Sea idea. And I would suggest that, uh, you know, you familiarize yourselves with those stories. And I may actually... Uh, cover a little bit of that on a separate broadcast here at some point. But uh, let's read on here and see what else this author has to say. Thus it came to us from the fathers, and so must and will our sacred heritage be passed on inviolate, so long as stern true men tread American soil. The completed examples of priest rule and its pregnant endeavors, as cited, reveal a widespread plan and purpose to gain control in the Western Hemisphere and merge church and state under the dominion of this Jesuitical oligarchy. And I'm going to pause there, folks. I'm going to read that sentence again, okay? The completed examples of priest rule and its pregnant endeavors as cited reveal a widespread plan and purpose to gain control in the Western Hemisphere and merge church and state under the dominion of this Jesuitical oligarchy. End quote here. That is an important idea. So once again, it's saying here there's a widespread plan. There's a conspiracy, folks. A conspiracy. It's not a theory. It's an actual conspiracy. It's been going on for, you know, centuries now. And apparently, um, 
the Jesuits are at the heart of it, and the uh, the the Masons, many Masons, recognize this and understood what this is about, and they they stand in stark contrast to the Jesuits. But the problem is, what the Freemasons don't realize is they're all cut from the same cloth. Okay, it's the same thing. They're both working for the same thing. They're just going about it differently. And uh, the connotation here is the Masons are the more secular side of things, and the Jesuits are the more religious side of things. Okay, the state versus the church. All right, but they both seek to combine these two areas of influence together for the ultimate form of control. Let's read on and see what else the author here has to say. And we're almost done, folks. These are vital facts and presentations which cannot be set aside nor explained away. They in themselves constitute a supreme court of divine judgment. In view of what its past accomplishments have been and its present Herculean preparatory efforts, these examples should serve as God's warning and command to all intelligent lovers of progress, liberty, and humanity, regardless of differences in creeds or races, to rally in defense of the highest interests of our common humanity against the insidious, hidden, and open aggressions of this focalized force of evil in the Western world, now mustered on the visible and invisible planes of action to perpetuate and expand its mental and spiritual thraldom of man. The Jesuit order is the wedge point of bigotry and intolerance as main factors in gaining temporal and spiritual dominion, and as such, it must be recognized, met, and subdued if humanity is to progress. With this Jesuitical force already arrayed and attacking right justice, and progress along the whole front of human affairs, what is to oppose it? What universal compact organized force is to be found based on the broad foundation of a common brotherhood, ruled by love, charity, and justice, its members sworn to propagate right, truth, and enlightenment, a force which can stay this actively offensive power of evil and ultimately defeat, lead, and force its disintegrated component parts into lines of unselfish action. To do this saving work for humanity requires earnest, substantial men and women who have evolved from the separate and therefore weak, secular and religious bodies sufficient intelligence to draw them together on occasions into one separate and more highly evolved body to act for the common good and safety. Looking into the dim past, we find in ancient Egypt the historic cradle of wisdom, the beneficent rule of divine kings men inspired by unselfish <coughs> excuse me men inspired by unselfish love and guardianship for all that lived their rule and guide was the basic fundamental and eternal law embodied in their inherited wisdom religion of freemasonry carried from egypt to india it overran into Greece and formed the basic pillars upon which the superb material and spiritual civilizations of these countries were reared, forming the basis of the Old and New Testaments. Its spiritual light became to the world obscured, and the material or operative side emphasized in sublime architecture as the various religious orders claiming foundation on the inspired books lost sight of the spiritual 
in their antagonisms, persecutions, and devastating contests for secular power. The Dark Age results of these fanatical wars had plunged the civilized world in nether darkness, where it would have sunk and disappeared, save for masonry. Its pure light kept burning in the hearts of the faithful through the darkening centuries, was flashed upon the night of Europe by Masonry's chivalric knights, who saved the fanatical murderous followers of their Christ from self-destruction by uniting them in the crusade to rescue the Holy Sepulchre from the Muslims. In doing this master's work, they consciously and intelligently utilized this destructive force to serve the double purpose of saving Christian Europe from self-destruction and from being overrun and destroyed by Muslim hordes. Thus, Masonry saved the world from a fatal return plunge into barbarism in the Dark Material Ages, when the evil forces now focalized in Jesuitry dominated. The Crusades, having demonstrated the controlling power of Masonry, the holders of the key to heaven, turned upon the saviors of humanity and by orders of the Holy Church, persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, and foully murdered thousands of these noble chivalrous knights, confiscated their property, destroyed their strongholds and priceless libraries, and scattered their followers in a futile attempt to destroy the order. And I'm going to pause here for a moment, folks. Boy, this is a rah-rah pro-Masonry uh, bit of uh, propaganda, isn't it? You see how they they talk about, uh, you know, the the splinter in somebody else's eye, but they can't see the log in their own eye? Do, do you hear what's being said here? They're, they're referring to, you know, themselves as saviors and being the holders of the key to heaven and how, you know, the Holy Church, uh, the Jesuit order, so to say, uh, persecuted them, and uh, they, they still hold a grudge. See, it's this back-and-forth dynamic. The problem is both of these organizations, the Freemasons and the Jesuits, at the topmost levels of both orders, have both been infiltrated by the same small group of people that steer this uh, back-and-forth agenda between them. Okay, And they do it for... What purposes? I can't say. Is it for their own entertainment or aggrandizement? It always works toward the same common end goal. Any way you look at it, much like our political system. Anyway, let's read on, because now we're getting to another important part here. <clears throat> the Jesuitical element, when it, which incarnated in masonry to control after failing to destroy it, did to an extent change the ritualism in 1707, but failing in its second purpose, it was forced out, and a remnant is now found in a secret con control of certain small and powerless occult so-called semi-Masonic bodies which teach and practice the black arts in the 19th century. I'm going to pause here, folks. I'm going to read that for you again. Okay, this is the author's admission, and I've had this suspicion for the longest time. All right. It's the same thing that John Robeson talked about in regards to the quote-unquote Bavarian Illuminati of the time, which in all actuality is the same order as the Jesuits, folks. Uh, Adam Weishaupt was a Jesuit-trained professor of canon law at Ingolstadt University. He was a Jesuit. Uh, he just changed the name up a little bit and, and did his own little sub-order of the Jesuit order called the quote-unquote Illuminati. And it's the same thing, and it was hearkening back to the same idea 
that St. Ignatius Loyola had for the order in the beginning. The Illuminati, same name. You see, it's all the same thing. But anyway, the, uh, the Masonic element here, especially the author of this, this text, even though he admits the Masonic order was infiltrated and taken over to some degree by Jesuits, which he says right here in his own admission right here, he claims that for the most part it was forced out, and now there's only a very small remnant that only exists in some maybe small sub-orders of masonry that really don't matter or do much. That's what he's saying in a nutshell here. Let me read that again. Quote, The Jesuitical element, which incarnated in masonry to control, after failing to destroy it, did to an extent change the ritualism in 1707, but failing in its second purpose, it was forced out, and a remnant is now found in secret control of certain small and powerless occult so-called semi-Masonic bodies which teach and practice the black arts in this 19th century, end quote. There it is. So, here's the bottom line, folks. The Jesuits... They control all the different secret society groups. That's who it is who's at the topmost levels of all these secret society groups. I see this as, you know, irrefutable proof right here, irrefutable proof that the Jesuits are the quote-unquote Illuminati and that they control all of these different secret societies at the topmost levels. The, the Jesuits have infiltrated Freemasonry. This is you know, notated by John Robeson in his book, Proofs of a Conspiracy, written, I believe, in 1797 or 1798, where he had noticed uh, Illuminati infiltration into the Freemasonic Order. And also, it's noted right here in this booklet, written by this author known only as Ramses, uh, which has to be a title. So he has to be a very highly degreed Mason and possibly a Rosicrucian. Okay, and, and you can hold... Uh, degrees in different brotherhoods or fraternities this way, and they all meet together uh, because at the topmost levels, it's all the same thing. And I tell you this over and over, and right here is the admission. The Jesuits infiltrated it at the highest most levels and tried to take it over, but he claims, the author here claims that they failed, but that they still exist in small pockets in uh, semi-Masonic bodies, see, that teach the black magic rituals. Here's the bottom line, though, all right? There's evidence today that this group, th these Jesuits, are at the highest, most levels of all these different orders and that they, they're the ones steering things, all right? So that's the bottom line here. I think this is a very important uh, point to touch on because I've said it before in numerous times, numerous ways, uh, at the topmost levels of all these secret society groups is the same small group of individuals controlling things on both sides. And they create this, uh, you know, this invisible power dynamic within these operational secret societies. Okay, this would be the invisible power dynamic of the hidden hand, so to say. Uh, because all these different secret society groups, they, they all recognize the same signs, symbols, uh, archetypes. All these different things that they use, it's all the same stuff. They all recognize it. They all could read it to one degree or another. 
They all have a basic understanding of it. And it's because it's all the same group, folks. It's all the same thing. It's all the same teachings. All of it. Through all of it. And it's all dominated at the top by the Jesuit order. Okay? Bottom line. Anyway, shall we read on a little bit further here and then wrap it up? It says... But for what purpose do a few sentinel spies of this old enemy of masonry conceal themselves in its inner body and heart today? Are masons also blind and asleep? And I would interject, folks, yes. By and large, most masons are blind and asleep. They don't understand who it is that they serve or what they serve. And it's the same thing with the Jesuits. Uh, you know, most of the people that are in these organizations in the lower levels don't have a friggin' clue what goes on at the topmost levels. They don't understand that they're part of the problem, that they've become the enlisted useful idiots of these secret society groups who promulgate their power. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's the bottom line here. Um, so anyway, let me read down and see if there's anything else we need to cover. Uh, it talks about insurrection in the Philippines, about the overthrow of the Jesuits in the Philippines and how the Masons have kind of, uh, taken hold there as well. And like I said, the, the gist, the general gist of this, this little booklet that I get is that, uh, there's this shift back and forth. All right in different cycles of who's in charge of the power structure, which side gets to run things in a particular period. I've had that suspicion for a long time. That's the general sense I get from reading this booklet. And also the admission that the Jesuits are the ones that infiltrated and took control here. The Jesuits and the Illuminati are one and the same. All right. What we would refer to as the Illuminati that's the Jesuits, and it's the same name. Looking back in history, same name, all right? And it, it's the same thing still going on to this day. Uh, so let's take a look here. What else do we have to say? Uh, is there something else important in here? I think when I read through this, I found some other important things here. Okay. Let's read this part. This is an important one, too. <clears throat> Since the killing blow to Jesuit rule in Spain, her long-waiting, patient, but powerful masons are infusing a new life into her awakening northern provinces in an effort to arouse and rescue the Spanish people. Many of the South American states have masons at the helm, and they should have grown too wise from past experience to ever again trust their old false pilots on the commander's bridge. In Canada, the apparent controlling force is on the side of retrogression, and her masons should change the current in her naturally strong and liberal atmosphere. The United States is the archstone, the coveted prize, possession of which at this time largely decides the destiny of humanity for centuries. Proof of this is at hand on every side in the advanced leading and unique position we have taken among the nations within the past 18 months in defense of needy brothers in our evident destiny if we do right, but strong.
stronger proof than any other one thing is the thoroughly awake condition and extreme effort now being put forth to secure Catholic control. And I'm going to pause there. He's talking about how the Jesuits uh, were trying to maintain control in the United States, but the Masons, by and large, had the upper hand. Okay. Under these vital conditions, how do we find American Masons placed by the law of succession as joint heirs to Masonry's past noble deeds and glory in the service of humanity? They should be, and are, numerically and otherwise, if they will awake, the controlling factor in the executive and legislative departments of our government, but apparently unconscious of the mighty meaning of this time and its events, unobservant of the advanced positions already taken and held against the Jesuits by detached and unsupported bodies of Masons preparatory to the coming universal conflict, unconscious of the vital position they themselves occupy in relation to the times, conditions, and events, ignorant, forgetful, or careless of the divine mission of Masonry, the leading part it has well acted in the past spiritual material history of the world of the commanding position it holds today along the whole front, the half-unconscious, impatient waiting of the better element in humanity for right and trusty leadership that it may spring to the defense of right and truth, failing to recognize or even observe these plainly presented things, conditions, compelling opportunities, and sacred duties, our official masons act as ordinary men, without concentrated purpose, and even allow themselves to be influenced and guided by the generals of masonry's fully aroused, alert, concentrated, and ready foe. The same is true of the Masonic Order as a whole, notwithstanding the forceful thought-suggesting fact that everywhere throughout the whole world, among all nations, races, and people, civilized or so-called savage, formal Masonry is active beyond precedent, even rampant, among the best and most intelligent classes. So, uh, let's read on here. And the author says here, O oh God, my God, arouse the widow's son to intelligent, concentrated action against the forces of evil now epitomized in Jesuitry, the ancient foe of masonry, and the common enemy of the best in humanity. By such concentration of Masonic thought, constantly directed against Jesuitry, expressed in private and public life, a bloodless revolution of the world will be accomplished, and humanity with a higher, grander conception of life, its possibilities and purposes will be lifted onto the higher plane of conscious, self-responsible action to move on to its higher evolution in peace, harmony, and love, a true and universal Masonic Brotherhood. Without such concentrated thought and action, the world, masonry still dominating and responsible, must wade through a sea of blood, but to finally emerge depleted, exhausted, thrown far backward in its evolution, the, rem the remnant purified and made wiser to again climb back over the long, more slippery, blood-washed slope. <coughs> Excuse me. Such is Masonry's inevitable choice and work, else its past record and present position are meaningless and absurd. Masons who fail to recognize our present position and consequent responsibilities are not keen observers of the great law of cause and effect, which governs even their individual lives and has brought Masonry into controlling positions at this vital epoch. And I'm going to pause there, folks. And this here proves out exactly what I'm saying. At the turn of the 18th into the 1800s into the 1900s, the turn of that century, control shifted from the Jesuits 
to the Masons. Okay, that's being recognized right here. Uh, this is what's going on with that. And then I would say it looks to me as if here, now that we've turned into the 21st century, we've gone from, uh, you know, the 1900s into the 2000s, the shift again has taken place and the Jesuits are taking back control. That's what it looks like to me. That's what I think is going on. And uh, this is what's being recognized here, as he says, uh, the, you know, the great law of cause and effect, which governs even their individual lives and has brought masonry into controlling position at this vital epoch. Okay. So that's the thing. It's, it's a natural cycle. All right. So he's recognizing that the, the law of cause and effect brings about these natural cycles, and that in that cycle, that was the time for the Masons to take control, the Masonic side of the Brotherhoods to take control. <clears throat> and like I said, I, I would speculate that the Jesuitical side has taken control in this current century now. Let's read on, because we're almost finished here. This is getting right toward the end, and then we're going to leave it for tonight because I think we've had a lot to think on so far. The cyclic operation of this great universal law has again brought the cumulative results and forces of 50 centuries, good and evil, face-to-face -face for final combat under the white flag of masonry and the black flag of Jesuitry. The lost and tangled threads of past individual, national, and race life and epochs are bound up in the present, presenting themselves to be untangled and staged for the final drama of the world's evolution. This gigantic nature combination of time, humanity, con conditions, and events is by no possibility simply a senseless happening or accident. Even vast man-directed combinations are forerunners of vast and far-reaching results, but when nature combines or focalizes the active, visible, and invisible forces of the centuries and their pregnant results, the physical, mental, and spiritual map of the world will be changed either for the well or woe of humanity. It is these stupendous facts which constitute this a vital epic. As the moving panorama of events shows, the old director of the Dark Forces is already alert and consciously on the field, directing the strategy and placing the forces as they consciously or unconsciously in evil thought or action report for assignment. At this vital moment, opposed to its old enemy, masonry stands inertly in place, all unconscious of the impending crisis, and the commanding and victorious part it must assume in this final conflict, else the light of the world, which has ever been its sacred charge, will be quenched in the darkness of returned barbarism and spiritual death. Do Masons doubt these presentations and deductions? Do they doubt the divine origin, mission, and past accomplishments of Masonry? If so, they are making a fatal error. Let them follow and analyze the statements and claims herein made, and they will surely bring themselves face to face with their duty as the present saviors of of humanity, then they can perform or shirk it intelligently and with the full sense of their responsibility. Is masonry sufficiently homogenous, powerful, divinely human, and courageous to manfully assume the high duty to which 
It is now called by the voice of humanity and of God, speaking through his law-conditioned events, upon what foundation does it rest? What are its origins and antecedents, and what does it teach and hold as right practice? This thoroughly organized universal homogenous body is composed, as it has ever been, of the most enlightened, broad-minded, progressive, tolerant, broadly patriotic, brotherly men of all nations, races, and creeds who, rising above these minor geographical, climatic, and selfish differences, meet each other on the level of a common origin, life, and destiny, and the square of right action as embodied in the golden rule, meeting, living, parting as brothers, holding the common purpose to uplift humanity, a body inherently governed by charity, equity, and love, held as ever-conscious active principles in the daily life of man, reverence for the great universal architect, expressed through constant glad and intelligent conformity to his law, the key to which is concealed in their divine symbology, to be found and used for the common good by those who prove themselves worthy and well-qualified. <laughs> Oh boy, is this this is self-righteous nonsense he's writing right here. Um the Jesuits I'm sure say the same thing of their order cuz guess what? It's all the same. All these orders they think the same things. They think they're so smart and they're so righteous and and they're worthy and well qualified. Uh see, and, and this is the thing, it's the hubris. It's the hubris of these groups that's their big downfall. Um uh, so Let's see how much... We'll just finish... I don't know if we need to finish all that. It just goes on patting themselves on the back, how great uh, Masons are, and they're the saviors, and this and that, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, here's the next important part, and then we're going to sum it up and call it a, a night after that. So it says here... Thousands of Freemasonry's staunchest advocates, men whose voices were ever heard promulgating its all-embracing divine principles, who could not be silenced by fear, calumny, persecution, or imprisonment, have found silence and death at the hands of its relentless foe, in hideous tortures, secret graves, and horrible dungeons. So once again, it's, it's leading you know you to believe this dichotomy of you know the Jesuits and uh, the Masons, how uh, they're these intractable flows that it goes back all the way to the very beginning see once again it's hearkening upon this idea of the, the the this conflict between the sons of Cain and the sons of Seth see it's the same thing through throughout all of this and it's all fraudulent folks it's all a put up it's all a control system. See, these secret society groups, they're a control system. All right? The, the members of these secret orders, they're all controlled in the same way. It's, it's all mind-warping, mind-control stuff going on within and outside, without the order, within the order and outside the order. First, they, they mind-control the people inside the order to think that they're doing righteous good things and to believe all of this nonsense 
that they've been telling them about this brotherhood, how they're the saviors, they're the ones, they, they maintain the true secrets of the ages, they're, they have the spiritual fire, they're the, the philosophers of fire. And then they say that this other group, all oh, these evil Jesuits, they're our enemies, uh, they fight against us and, you know, we struggle against them and they're, they're the bad ones and they, they take control uh, over the course of time in these different cycles and they do bad stuff and it's up to us to to rescue the people from them again do you, do you see how this looks a lot like the political parties today republican democrat same stupid thing going on neither one does any good for anybody on either side they just work towards the same agenda they just go about it slightly differently and one's given power for an amount of time and then the power shifts to the other side for an amount of time and it goes back and forth it's the same thing going on with these these two uh, dynamics of the secret society groups as well and right now the the names that we recognize on them as far as the big secret society groups are the jesuits and the freemasons and they're all the same group folks it's the same thing it's just like our political parties they all work for the same people it's all the same people at the top of it that control it you need to understand that. It's all for show, okay? It's all for show, and it's all to keep the battery operating properly. Because that's what it is. That's why there's always two sides. That's why we have such a, a, a what we would call a dualistic system. But I would say it's more polarity than dualism. It's the same. It works like a battery. Understand the allegory of, of how electricity works and how a battery works. You have a positive pole and a negative pole, and you need those in order for anything to operate. And it's the same thing that goes on with this. And this operates in invisible realms, too. See, that's the thing with these secret society groups. Not only do they have physical dominion and power here and political power, and uh, they control things in the physical world, there's spiritual forces that are aligned with them that control things in the invisible world, and they acknowledge this. And this has uh, an effect on humankind, whether people would like to admit that or not. So that's the bottom line here. I think we're just going to leave it at that for tonight, folks. Uh, because what you need to understand is, even within the auspices of the quote-unquote elite, are these royal family bloodlines, or however they want to view themselves, these people that think they rule the world, they're infighting up at the topmost levels. And it's been going on for generations and generations, and it's still going on today. It's the infighting at the top. They're, they're subject to these same uh, flaws that we are as the public, okay? They're subject to these same things. They have their own, uh, you know, thoughts of things. They're controlled just as much as we are, if not more so. They don't have the ultimate freedom that everybody yearns for. These people are more controlled than you and I, and they don't even see it. And they're controlled by strong spiritual influences that influence them in negative ways. See, and, and that's wherein the problem lies, because they're, they're controlled by things they don't understand, but they claim to understand. All right? And that's where we're at. And they, they have this power dynamic at the topmost levels of the power structure because it's a necessity to have the dynamic look at the term dynamic it would indicate there has to be two poles okay and that's exactly what goes on 
with these secret society groups that, that dominate the world stage, what we would call the quote-unquote Illuminati. That would be the whole battery put together, the Freemason side and the Jesuit side, okay? The negative pole, the positive pole. Together, combined, they create the battery that keeps this thing going. All right? So that's... That's basically the conclusion we could draw here. And I hope you followed me all this time, folks. And uh, thanks for listening. And, and we are going to explore different avenues of thought like this. But you see how it always all ties back to these same couple of archetypal ideas that are inherent in the book of Genesis. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of understanding the Bible and the stories of the Bible. Uh, because they are so pivotal to the things that go on in this world and having a better understanding of this world. Because if... If you don't even, you know, understand the basic concept of, uh, you know, the Cain and Abel story and how Abel was replaced by Seth, and then you had this dichotomy between Cain and Seth, uh, their bloodlines, you're, you're hard-pressed to understand what, what's going on in this world, how the power dynamic in this world works for real. And, and that's a sad thing, and we need a better understanding of these things. So I would urge you, go pick up your Bible and read back through the Bible stories, especially like in the book of Genesis, because these things are foundational to how our society works and how the power structure controls things in our society and how they hearken back to these archetypes all the time as a dynamic for control. Anyway, folks, that's all I'm going to uh, have to say here for tonight. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Have a good night.
Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm. Coming soon.